0: So I've been here for just over a year, a year as of November 1st, so it's a little bit over. And I figure it's time to test the relational bounds that I have created. So a little bit of a warning, a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'm going to be going after uh, Elf on the Shelf. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so, so sorry. Um, Who here knows what Elf on the Shelf is? Okay, some. Okay, Elf on the Shelf is, um, is, is, is a messenger sent by Santa that comes out December 1st, and he watches you, or particularly your children, to make sure whether they're being good or bad. And each day he flies back to Santa and reports on that day's goings-on. Were you good? Were you bad? Where are you sitting on the ledger today? And this happens until Christmas Eve, and then uh, on Christmas Eve, he disappears, and you then are given either a thumbs-up or thumbs-down. Now, the thing is, is that the elf on the shelf can end up anywhere. He could be in the bathroom, he could be in the kitchen, he could be in the car seat waiting for you, and so this is a Fantastic mechanism for trying to keep our children in line. The message, though, is this. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. If you can listen to the rules of the home, follow the laws of the land, as it were, then Santa will give you the gifts that you so desire. If, on the other hand, you are rebellious and don't follow the rules, don't live up to the commands of the home, then you should get coal, right? Now, if you ask me, Elf on the Shelf seems a little Orwellian, a bit big brother, Right? I'm watching you, while you sleep, while you do the dishes. Are you playing? Are you playing nice with your brother? Are you eating your food well? And to me, it's a little bit scary, but that's okay. Some people like different things. The challenge, though, is that the underlying message of this particular cultural Christmas idea is completely contrary to the Christmas we just celebrated. The cultural idea that if you do good, you get good, is different than the story of the gospel of Jesus coming to earth as a baby for our salvation. The Christian message of Christmas does not work like be good, get good. Paul, in Galatians chapter 4, 4-7, to 7, tries to tackle this problem. So let's read the passage, and then we'll go from there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come... One of the challenging parts of a series that we're doing like this, which around the Advent season, we look at scriptures that talk about Advent, is, um, is that we, we, ent- we enter the story in the middle. Paul has been talking to the Galatian church about a particular problem for the last three chapters, and if we just pull this out, we don't quite understand what's happening, In Acts chapter 14, which is kind of the historical account of how the gospel spread throughout the world, Paul visits a few cities in this region of Galatia, preaches the gospel to them, that God came in the form of a child, that he walked this earth, that he lived a perfect life, and that he unjustly died a death on a cross, was buried And rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, and now sits on the right hand of God, reigning and ruling over all the world. And he went to Galatia with this message, and people believed him. And so they started these little home churches. And Paul moved along to other places to preach the same message. And right behind him came this group of Jews that said, that's a, that's a great message, but it's not complete. What you need is you need the law. You see, it's Jesus plus good works gives you salvation. So you need to do particular things in order to be pleasing in front of God. Yeah, believe in God, good. Believe in Jesus and what he did, good. But unless you eat certain foods, unless you practice certain rituals, unless you get circumcised then you don't add up. And the Galatian church started to believe this, but somehow they needed to work towards their salvation. And when Paul heard this, he wrote the letter to the Galatians to correct that thinking. And he starts saying, no, 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 you, you, you don't understand the gospel. Because if you understood the gospel, you would see this as a distortion of it. You would see that salvation is through Jesus not propped up by the law but in fulfillment of it. You are not saved by your works, you are saved by the work of Jesus is Paul's message. Paul corrects this thinking by putting the law in the correct perspective. So if we read Galatians 4, 4 and 5 again, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It seems fairly clear that Paul doesn't see the law as a support to salvation. It is that we live under its expectation. That in actual fact, the law does not prop us up, but show us how far we fall short. Paul reiterates this in another letter he wrote to the Roman church in chapter 3, verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, the Jews were trying to tell people, do good, get good. Do the right things, get salvation. And Paul's saying, you've missed the point. The point is... The law only shows how woefully we fall short. When I was young, I was cursed with short jeans. My parents and grandparents were all short, so I had that same privilege. And I'm so sorry for my children because they also will be short. But when we would go to the Peony or we would go to West Edmonton Mall and I would want to go on that ride. I would want to go on that fun roller coaster. Then I would sit in line and wait and get to that point where you have to pass the bar. And I was so short. Oh, please let me do it. And I'd stand on my tippy toes, lift my nose as high as I could. Can I I jump? Does that work? Come on. I just so wanted it, but I woefully fell short. I blame my dad. But this this is the law. See, it only acts as an x-ray machine. It only tells you where you are broken, where you fall short, where you don't measure up to the standard. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians, is that you have misinterpreted the purpose of the law. Oh, the law is good, it is right, it is holy. But when you look at it, all it tells you is you need someone to do something for you. And that is so true in my life. If I had an elf on the shelf that followed me around on my shoulder and reported back here all of the things that it heard and saw, and if it could see my mind, I would run out the door. Anybody up for that? Anybody? You see, if my dog gets out, oh, the anger that comes, oh man, I lose it. My, 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 My poor children can see that. I am so surprised my dog is still alive. Because I just, there is something inside of me that just boils over. And all that it is, is it's, it's exposing my self-centeredness. How dare I be put out? How dare my evening be ruined? Oh, and it, it doesn't stop there. My neighbor gets something new, and I think, Ooh, I wish I had that. How could I get That What manipulations would I have to do to get that thing? Oh, it is so pervasive in my life that I will turn things so that they will benefit me. And I know that this is true of all of us. That we sit here and if that elf on the shelf sat in your vehicle or lived in your living room while you talk to your spouse about the thing that you have been fighting about for so long, you would not want that played on the screen. And yet we tell ourselves, do good, get good. The problem is we don't do good. we don't. Even the cultural level of saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we don't even meet that standard. Sure, yeah, yeah, you know, let's, let's call that mantra when you stand in line at Walmart on Christmas Eve and you're waiting to buy a gift and someone budges in front of you, or they're, they're, they're buying 15,000 things each separately or whatever. Watch the anger level raise. How dare you make me miss my thing? Treat others as you would have yourself treated. Or how about the homeless person you walk by on the street thinking, I am better than they are. I've made better life choices than they have. Treat others as you would be treated. We fall woefully short and we sit under the law. Paul says, but that's the, that's the beauty. This, this is the beauty of the gospel. Let's read again the process of adoption. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. The gravity of this statement alone is incredible. That God sent himself, not an emissary, not a representative, not somebody else, but himself in the form of his son, Jesus. That the God of the universe took off his glory and came to be with us born of woman. The God who spoke the universe into existence in the blink of an eye, and the millions upon millions of scientists that explore our world every day have not scratched the surface of his creativity in that moment, went from his phenomenal cosmic power to an itty-bitty living space. For those of you who are Aladdin fans, it is incredible to think that the God of the universe bowed himself low for us. That he became an infant child whose head needed to be supported. relied on its mother to feed him and raise him. The audacity of that is incredible. He was born under the same conditions we were born under, under the same law of God that he would love the Lord his God with all his heart his soul, his mind, his strength, that he would have no other gods before him, that he would not covet anything, that he would not be adulterous, that he would not lie or bear false witness, and he held it perfectly. For what? Well, verse 5, to redeem, to purchase, to buy, to save those who are under the law to save those who are under the law. He fulfilled the law which we could not fulfill. He measured up to that which we could not do. When the x-ray hit him, there was nothing broken. Everything was perfect, and yet he gave himself for us on the cross. The death and wrath that we deserve, that I deserve for my self centered idolatry, he took upon himself so that I might receive adoption as a son, so that you might receive adoption as a son or daughter. Of God. Russell Moore puts it this way The gospel of adopting grace didn't find us in a boutique nursery, but in the war zone of a stable, in the death camp of a crucifixion field, in the graveyard of a borrowed tomb. That's not a gospel that plays well on television, but it's the one we have the God of the universe stooped down into our muck and our failure and our rebellion to redeem us as children of his. And then in verse 6 and 7, sent his spirit so that we can cry, Father, and call this God, this glorious God, our Father, because of his work and his moving and his glory. So now we are no longer slaves under that law because we are perfect in Christ and an heir through God. Russell Moore, as I mentioned before, is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, In his book, Adopted for Life, Moore recalls a particular speaking engagement in which his five-year-old sons were asked to introduce their dad from the stage. While While they made their way to the stage, Moore reflected on their adoption and wrote this, Sitting in a foreign airport with the smells of European perfume, human sweat, and cigarette smoke wafting all around us, Maria and I recommitted to God that we would trust him and that we would adopt whomever he directed us to, regardless of what medical or emotional problems they might have. A Russian judge told us that she had two gray-eyed boys picked out for us both of whom had been abandoned by their mothers to a hospital in the Little Mining Village about an hour from where we were staying. Sure enough, the, orphan, the orphanage authorities, through our translator, catalogued a terrifying list of medical problems, including fetal alcohol syndrome, for one, if not both, of the boys. When Maria and I first walked into the orphanage where we were led to the boys the Russian courts had picked out for us to adopt, we almost vomited in reaction to the stench. They were lying in excrement and vomit, covered in heat blisters and flies. The way the boys stroked my chin, feeling the five o'clock shadow, indicated I was the first man that they had ever seen. Leaving them at the end of each day was painful. But leaving them the final day, before going home to wait for the paperwork to go through, was the hardest thing either of us had ever done. Walking out of the room to prepare for the plane ride home, Maria and I could hear Maxim calling out for us and falling down in his crib, convulsing, in tears. Maria shook with tears of her own. I turned around, walked back into the room just for a minute. I placed my hands on both of the boys' heads and said, knowing they couldn't understand a word of English, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come quoting the words of Jesus in John 14:18 where he says to his disciples I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you Brothers and sisters, in Christ, Christmas is a time when we remember that Christ did not leave us in our filth. He did not leave us in that crib, in our sin and inadequacy in our darkness and death. He did not leave us there and he promised that he would make us sons. And because we are sons, we are heirs with Christ. And that is worth celebrating every year that God came as a baby baby so that we could be sons and daughters of the Most High. Let's remember that this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Just thank you. we have the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. Thank you that you did not leave us in our squalor and in our failure, but you made us away. Oh, Father, would you help us know that in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, and with all of our strength. Jesus, would our eyes be on you this Christmas season?